Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark horse here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome IronRadio.org listeners. I am Lonnie Lowry. I am a former competitive bodybuilder, and I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor. And hello, I'm Rob Fortress-Fortney, uh, editor, journalist, former editor at Muscle Bank International, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens, uh, powerlifter, strongman, uh, Highland Games athlete, strike coach, all that stuff. Um and joining us today, we got Brian Moss, um, special guest here. Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Um, for, for anybody who doesn't know Brian, he's kind of been around the industry for a, for a long time, probably the world's uh, kind of number one authority in, in photography of, of physical sports, but mainly bodybuilding also, and kind of ventures out into <clears throat> taking pictures of tattoos and cars and motorcycles and all around uh just about anything, it seems. In 82, Brian opened the Better Bodies Gym in New York, um, attracted a ton of bodybuilders, and then he became kind of the, the most active participant in, in the birth of women's bodybuilding and also the growth of men's bodybuilding. Uh, his kind of close friendship with these athletes allowed his art to flourish and then afforded him kind of this close-up look. I don't want to go too far into that because that's what we want to talk to you about. Um <clears throat> So I'm going to kind of end it there and let you talk about your art instead of me talking about it. But uh, let's first talk about your uh, those early years and your participation in the birth of women's bodybuilding. You know, where was the sport when you first became a proponent, and then and how did it change as you over the years? Well, it was only a few, I opened up Better Bodies in '82. Um, I, I think that the first George Snyder Best of the World show was maybe. Uh, late 70s, I want to say maybe 77, 78, and uh, actually the first Olympia that I ever went to was Gladys Portuguese, who was my trainer and then ultimately became my girlfriend, uh, actually guest posed at was probably the last George Snyder run Miss Olympia, and that was probably like 82, if I had to guess, 82 or 83. So it was really like, you know, the early, early years, really the halcyon, I think, years of female bodybuilding when it seemed to be its most purest. And uh, I, I don't know that it's ever gotten much better than it was, at least for me. I'm probably being nostalgic about it, but it was really a special time. Gotcha. I mean, uh, you hear that time and time again from people who've been around, though, that, uh, I don't know, that the nostalgia of bodybuilding – 20 years ago, you know, on both sides of the coin. Right, right, both for men and women. I mean, I think, you know, depending on when you get involved in the sport, so for me, the years that imprinted on me when I was a teenager and, you know, training in the 70s and buying, you know, Muscle Digest and the uh, Perry Raider Ironmans and all of that, I mean, that I, I kind of was weaned on that. And I think that when I look back at what I think were probably the golden years, I was too young. I mean, I wish I could have been active in the 70s. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, looking at your art, uh, I come from an art background, too. I have a master's degree in, in oil painting, but uh, looking at it, I mean, 
it, it's a very it has a very mature feel to it. Um, it just at, at the first glance, there's a mature feel, but yet there's this rawness. I'm just wondering, how did you first get involved in it? Did you have an art background, or did you just pick up a camera and start shooting? I mean, what what brought you to to moving from opening a gym to to the photography? I think we might have lost them. Yeah, I heard a click. Yeah, me too. You know, I'm going to offer some filler for a second because, Phil, what you were just saying right before you were asking about education, something really hit me. How many guys have we had on this show, and hopefully Brian's working his way back to call in here. How many guys have we had on this show that talked about the nostalgia and the purity of bodybuilding in the 70s and 80s? And they're all self-aware that they might be nostalgic, right? They're sort of purposely trying to avoid nostalgia for its own sake. It, it really leads you to wonder if things weren't, in fact, better in the 70s and 80s as far as the, you know, the essence of bodybuilding, whether it was male or female. You know what I'm talking about? Some, I, I, mean, I think that golden era maybe really was the golden era, and it's not just our sweetened memories of it all. You know, no, I agree. It's certainly from a from a you know, you look at it from like you know when competitive bodybuilding kind of became its own entity. Um, those years were formative years, building I think up to what became the golden years, which again, yeah, were probably the late seventies, eighties, early nineties, and I think it's you know it's kind of been now it's going too far in the tarnished kind of direction. Yeah. I want to talk to Brian more if he gets on the phone with us a little bit more about his better bodies and all that type of thing. I'm sure he has an amazing story. That's kind of what I wanted to go into in the second half, then. Just let us all kind of... No, I know, I know. I'm just... Tell stories. I'm excited (laughs) to hear about some of the things he has to say if he can get back on the phone with us. Yeah. He was a big part of that whole thing in the 80s. I'm sure, Lonnie, you agree. I mean... You read all the muscle mags and all that, and that. I mean, he was constantly in there with his better bodies, and everybody wore better bodies shirts. Yes, they did. I remember that, and I remember Gladys Portuguese. That's for sure. Absolutely. You know, I mean, awesome. I mean, he he was such a big part of again, like you know, before I ever was hired at Muscle Mag, like a decade before, you know, buying Muscle Mag, and again in the news section, there was always something about better bodies or somebody training at better bodies or being spotted at better bodies or. You know, like he's like I was just saying, or everybody, everybody had a better body shirt. I mean, it was just, it was, at that time it was as common to see somebody with a better body shirt as it was to see somebody with a gold gym shirt or a world gym shirt. Yeah, yeah. The guy was instrumental in creating a lot of the. He himself had an element of celebrity, I think, and then with his photography, of course, and his gym and everything. Yeah, it was almost like a an epicenter for uh, physique culture in New York and stuff. And you're right, it was all over the magazines. Yeah. For the listeners who, while we're waiting here, go ahead and uh, you can check out Brian's site, www.brianmoss.com. Um, just tons of photographs and, and some stories and whatnot. He's got several other sites, too, but the main one. He can tell us, but is, is he still real active? I mean, I don't see quite as much of the, like Rob said, the shirts and the, the photo shoots and the celebrity shots of parties and stuff. I mean, is is he still real active? What I know, he's getting back into it hard again. So he's got some new photos now. And Hello. You know, Hi. Hello. Sorry, my whole building just lost power. Ah, we're wondering what the heck happened. Yeah, oh, I was, <laughs> I was going on. It was, uh, man, you missed what yeah. I heard. 
I was, no, I was no, rambling no, on for like five minutes, and then I got no response. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I realized well, I looked we, around. All my clocks were flashing. The whole building lost power. We've been sitting here tooting your horn for you. Oh, so okay, we were waiting. Um, so you got okay, you heard the question then, just kind of I was looking at your art and wondering if you had an art background or if you just happened to pick up a camera and go at it or, or how, how that came about. Oh, well, I mean, I sort of have an art background. I went to the high school of music and art as a kid, if that stands for anything, uh, but not photography. Uh, but I think my whole life I've been sort of aesthetically inclined, meaning things, aesthetics have always meant something to me, the way things look and the way they appear and composition. Um, I, when I was about 13, I had a little camera and I played with a camera, but then I never really touched a camera, you know, for basically all of my adult life. And picking up a camera and photographing fit bodies was really quite by accident. I'm, I'm really truly the accidental photographer. I was really the accidental gym owner and now I'm an accidental photographer. So, life is well, funny like that. Then, I mean, the accidental photographer, uh, you know, you look at your images, and I mean, most of them, you kind of almost get this uneasy feeling of, of, of voyeurism. You know, yeah. it's like you're you're seeing something you almost shouldn't be. Right. Um, is that something that you purposely had to try for, or is it just something you automatically kind of happened upon and then gravitated towards? Yeah, I don't think you can try for your point of view. I think if you have to try to find it, you're not going to be a good artist. So it's either there or it's not. Like, I don't sit down and think how I can sort of perpetrate that type of image. It's just how I see life. Um, I think I am a voyeur, and when I pick up a camera, I want my images to appear that way because that's just sort of how I see things. So I think whether I were photographing, a, you know, a bodybuilder or, you know, a car or anything, it's going to have kind of like my DNA on it, and I think that is, as you point out correctly, um, voyeuristic, uh, unguarded. You know, I don't like people to kind of mug for the camera, as it were. And this sport and our magazines were filled with that. I mean, if I had a nickel for every guy that did a thumbs up for the cam or, or a peace sign, yeah, I'd be rich. And that, that, that doesn't tell the viewer anything about the guy or the girl. And I was much more interested in trying to get beyond all that crap. And uh, so that's why you know, you need to sort of be a voyeur and let the people not react to you. I remember when I was first shooting backstage at the Olympias when I was uh, working for Muscle and Fitness, and Jay Cutler said something really funny. He was like, oh, oh, that's right, you know, you're the photographer that, you know, I don't have to do anything for. <laughs> and that was right. Like, I don't want you to acknowledge me because, you know, a person watched is a person changed. I'd rather they're not really aware that I'm watching. Yeah. So, I mean, that gets, well, it was one of the things I was just, you know, this voyeuristic feel. I mean, your scenes aren't staged then. I mean, you're just kind of hanging out and just snapping constantly, huh? Well, it depends on the shots. I mean, some are definitely staged. I mean, there's a there's two sorts of photos. There are those that you take and those that you make. You know, when I'm shooting backstage at an Olympia or even an amateur show, I'm taking those photos. I can't control anything. People do what they do. I mean, as you know, you've been backstage at shows. You never get in the way of a bodybuilder preparing. You know, they're in their zone, and that's it. I just want to document it. So that's taking photos. Uh, making photos would be, you know, me having a $1,000 Elvis suit and dressing up Milo Sharshev and putting him in the desert as a bodybuilding Elvis. You know, so that's making a photo. So it really depends on exactly, you know, what the environment, what the shoot is, what the intent is. Yeah. 
Um, Lonnie kind of touched on this while you guys powered out there. Um, what are you working on now? I mean, are you real active in the scene right now? Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm not in the gym scene anymore, of course. I sold Better Bodies over 12 years ago, um, so I, I'm no longer a gym owner. Uh, I'm not really kind of running in those circles. Um, I'm still photographing full-time, uh, working a lot within, of course, the supplement industry because those are the only guys that have budgets and money that basically prop up the sport. Um, so I've been shooting, for those of you that have seen the Animal Pack campaign, um, I'm, I'm approaching actually 10 years of shooting that. The very first ad, the one with the guy with the watch cap and the thermal, you know, shut up and train, that has since become sort of an iconic image. That was taken almost 10 years ago, and I'm kind of happy to say that I'm still shooting for Universal, and, you know, they've been an incredible client. Some of the shots you've taken for the animal packs and so forth are, as you say, they've become iconic images that um, certainly resonate with a lot of people who are, uh, you know, of the gym culture. In it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think for several reasons, because unlike most photographers in our world, I come out of our world. I'm not a photographer that's jumping into the world. I was a gym owner for 16 years. I trained, I, I was in the culture, I, I lived the culture. I mean, my God, I'm doing it over half my life. So I think that gives me just a different feel and a different take on when I shoot guys and girls, whether it's an ad or whatever it is. Um, it's, I just think it's a little more insightful. And uh, I think I expose parts of the scene that others just don't see. They don't really understand there's a lot of frailty and there's a lot of insecurity no matter how big and how strong you are. And that, I think, is what resonates with people, kind of the reality of my moments that I create for Animal Pack and Universal. I, I, I think it would be interesting to see just how many people out there in the Iron Game mm-hmm. have a shot of yours hanging on their wall as inspiration. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got to be everywhere. They are. And people I, don't even know it. Yeah, because I get emailed all the time, Facebook, you know, when people, I mean, the funny thing is, is that a lot of people don't know who has done those shots, and I've sort of had to put it out there and, you know, kind of toot my own horn in a way to show people that it is me, and, you know, Facebook is a good vehicle for that, my website is a good vehicle for that, and then when they realize, you know, who it is, it's unbelievable, I mean, the impact that it's had on on not only men, but women, you know, women are really inspired by it, too. And uh, it's really, it's incredible to me. It's just incredible. And it's global. You know, it's like uh, I just was shooting a female bodybuilder this week from Romania. And uh, she was telling me how, like, famous those images are in Romania. And I heard that from a female bodybuilder from Spain, that it's famous in Spain. So it's just, it's incredible. It's really kind of global. Brian, what is your own history in in, uh bodybuilding training and competition did you ever venture to enter well i you know i in 1978 when i was a junior in college me and a buddy uh, we were training at a ymca in syracuse new york and uh, as you guys know back in the day the y's used to sponsor of shows and contests and meets and so there was a uh they were putting on a little bodybuilding contest i'd never been to a contest didn't know anything about dieting but me and my training partner thought, well, shit, you know, let's compete. So, I mean, it was really kind of a joke. We didn't, I think we ate eggs. That's that's how we prepared for it. 
And that was like back in the day of like wearing Speedos, you know what I mean? They weren't posing trunks. It was right. like you wore Speedos. And that was it. I mean, I assessed my genetics pretty quickly. And I realized, okay, you know, that's it. I'm never stepping on stage again. But I have to say it was a lot of fun. And as you guys know, when you're goal-oriented, it made the training great. And, uh, you know, we had a blast. And But that that was the beginning and the end of my bodybuilding career. You know, uh, one show in Syracuse, New York in 1978 or 79. Of course, you've never uh, stopped training, I suppose. Nah, you know, I... I haven't. I mean, probably over the last few years, I've trained less strength training than I ever have in my life uh, because I've grown to finally appreciate running, which is something I was never able to warm up to. Uh, but after reading uh, a book called Born to Run, it's actually about barefoot runners, these mythical barefoot runners in Mexico, um, it really inspired me to understand running a bit more. And so I'm actually enjoying running and, you know, still strength training. I mean, I think I, I always will. I mean, I've built like a 1970s retro gym in my studio, so I have an incredible place to train. But, you know, again, as probably you guys know, if you've ever owned a gym, uh, the unfortunate part of that is at the end of it all, you lose your love a little bit because, you know, when you've spent 15, 16 years in a gym, 10 hours a day, it's kind of like the last thing you want to do is work out. So, uh, you know, I'm sad to say, but I've lost my passion the way when I go to a gym and I, or even on Facebook when you see people just kind of like, they can't wait till they get out of work, they can't wait to get to the gym, they just love training. And I used to be that, but, you know, owning a gym kills that. Do you think, yeah. that, might, do you think that might return, though, that now that you've been, you know, no, out of it for... I don't, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, I'm a different guy now. I'm 52. I'm not 22 or 32. And I think the motivation changes. You know, early on in your life, a lot of guys train for aesthetics to look a certain way or to be strong or, you know, to do doubles and triples with all sorts of weight. And I've been through all those phases. Uh, I think now my goal is a little more have a healthy body. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to look good with their shirt off, but it doesn't drive me anymore. You know, I think now it's less aesthetic and more function. And I think that's why I've embraced cardio. And, you know, again, I always strength train, uh, but I don't think my motivation is the same. Because as you get old, for me, you know, it's not all about how big your arms are. No. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, you see that a lot in, in as people get older, too. I mean, they switch from the purely aesthetic thing to, to mm-hmm. strength sports. And then from strength sports to just health. I mean, I think it's kind of yeah. an interesting... Uh, yeah, it's a progression. Really, yeah. I mean, it's actually a maturation because yeah. I don't. You you can't tell a twenty-one-year-old that they should do this because they're going to be healthier. <laughs> you just can't. Yeah, it's all about what you look like. I mean, yeah, 100%. it's all about what you look like. That's right. <laughs> so I think it's really just a maturation. Yeah, that's the art. I mean, that's kind of you know that international view now and all these people you've touched. I mean, again, coming from an artist's point of view, I mean that has to be. Just the biggest factor. I mean, knowing that, I mean, the goal in any art, in my view, is just that it's not ignored. You know, yeah. that somebody sees it. Somebody sees it, it yeah. It's either loved or hated. I mean, that's just, that's, that's, right. that's huge that it's gone so far. Um, and again, I want to mention your site. I did it while you were off at www.brianmoss.com. Um, mm-hmm. 
can can people reach out to you? Like, say there's somebody that wants a photo shoot or something. Can you be hired? Can you be contracted? Uh, I mean, you know, you? yeah, look, I, I, anybody can reach out to me. That's fine. Uh, the problem with doing personal shoots for people is that typically they don't really understand what's involved. And so what happens is they go to my site, they see photographs, and they think, oh, my God, that, I want that. You know, they might be looking at a really highly produced, high-budget muscle and fitness shoot, and they're the the realization that these things can't, forgetting what I might charge, even if I didn't charge anything, uh, there are expenses, whether it's an assistant, location, hair, styling. You know, usually nothing happens by accident, and everything is thought about. So I have done some personal shoots where people did understand all that and were okay with that, so I would never say no to it. But, you know, history tells me that, you know, for every ten people that reach out and say they want to be photographed by me, you know, they think it's uh, cheap. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, there's not a lot involved, and it is. You don't just yeah. show up and take your shirt off and off we go. I mean, so that's <laughs> why I, I don't kind of, like, go after private work per se. Um, but the other side of that is sometimes, you know, people will friend me on Facebook or send me pictures. I always like to see who's out there uh, because I submit people to my vitamin clients all the time yeah. and say, wow, wow, this guy's got a beautiful aesthetic physique. He'll be perfect for Universal or, oh, man, look at this guy. He's a perfect animal. Um, so that's, you know, always worth somebody's time to maybe just say, hey, here I am. And uh, I don't have the power to hire. Of course, yeah. that's up to my client. But obviously, if I send them a photo of somebody, it'll be looked at. And I've, I've done that. I probably do that a few times a year where I find a really great physique. And I say, well, you know, check this guy out. So, Rob, you need to break out the Polaroid, man. And get <laughs> well, you know what? I'm, I'm actually doing that right now. <laughs> Polaroid, so you're dating yourself. It's not about Polaroid. It's like yourself on the camera. They don't make Polaroids anymore. <laughs> what's, what's next? What's, what's up and coming for you right away here? Anything, anything exciting? Uh, you know, it's kind of more of the same, you know, still continuing to shoot for the supplement companies. Uh, actually, next week I have a big shoot with Eric Frankenhauser for Animal Pack. Um, I've been putting a lot of effort into my She Muscle site, which is kind of like a Playboy style, like muscle girls for guys and girls that love muscular women. So that's, I'm putting a lot of effort into that. Um, and that's probably, you know, that's my world, shooting. Yeah. And, you know, the, this vintage gym that I've kind of created, I'm always seeking equipment for that. My goal one day to actually, would actually be have a full-scale 1970s gym. Right now I have about oh, 500 square feet. Um, if your uh, listeners want to take a peek at it, they can just go to vintagegym.com and they can see. And actually it's even changed from the photos there where I'm just I scour the nation for 1970s equipment. You know, I've got all kinds of, you guys probably remember Jubinville, right? Mm. I mean, I've got Jubinville equipment. I've just got all kinds of great old stuff, globe dumbbells. This, everything on the walls is vintage. And ironically, the floor, you guys probably remember the little square puzzle floors that gyms used to have. They were like two-by-twos. Yeah. Well, I never threw out the floor from my original Better Bodies. I saved it, and now that floor is on the floor of my gym, so kind of cool to think like who's walked over that i was you know it's funny you said that because i was just thinking to myself geez the history of the feet that have probably walked over it yeah a lot you know great great bodybuilders 
And when I look, even the weights that didn't come from Better Bodies, meaning they came from Gladiator Gym, Lower East Side, which is now gone. You know, I don't know if you guys see it where you are, but I'm seeing all of these really incredible old, small, tiny, like mom-and-pop hardcore gyms gone. They're all gone in New York. You know, Gladiator had been there since the 60s, and uh, he closed a couple of years ago. So I got some of his equipment. And when I walk down into that gym, I look at those plates. I look at those, like, deep-dish Yorks, those globe dumbbells, and I think, man, if, like, weights could talk, you know, how many muscles this weight must have built. It's unbelievable to me. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. That's the thing about weights, man, is they you never actually win. <laughs> They're yeah. always there. <laughs> yeah, they keep going. Yeah, that's right. After you're all old and atrophied, <laughs> they're, they're pumping up somebody else's arms. That's right. I'm going to go ahead and hit this topic track, and we'll move on to the topic then. Yeah, I think that was. I think that's a good segue right there. Yeah. Okay, I mean, topic of the day, we just want to talk about fun, exciting, crazy, or otherwise stuff that we've seen behind the scenes in the industry. Um, I want to start it off with you, Brian, and just, over the years, I'm sure you've had some memorable shoots, and just maybe if you could say, is, is there one that really stands out in your head and why? Hmm, memorable shoots. Uh, I, I think we should broaden that out and just say some of the funny stuff he's maybe seen in, in his gym or anything, really. Yeah, I have to think about funny. Um, yeah, I guess the, the first thing that comes to mind is sort of like bodybuilders coming into my gym the day after they look terrible in a show. Like, they always will say to me, you should have seen me 48 hours ago. <laughs> and it's like, that never changes. Like, I still hear it. I remember when I own better bodies. You know, you know how guys very often won't show what they're looking like, and and then you see them on stage, and you're thinking, wow, what were they thinking, saying that they're in great shape? And then, of course, you know that refrain of like, you should have seen me 24 hours ago. I was spot on. I was right on. I'm always sort of amused at that. And then, part of that whole story, of course, and you've probably heard it too, is you know when somebody is just like feeling so terrible for bodybuilders because normally. You know, it's such a twisted sport that the worse you feel, the better you look. And that they feel so terrible, and the show's finally over, and I'm never going to do this again. Never going to do this again. Oh, yeah, every time. Yeah. And then within 24 hours, you know, they're plotting their next show. You know, there's <laughs> just these patterns that just you see across the board. Men, women, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, into the 2000s. That stuff just does not change. Well, kind of that brings up one of, the, one of the biggest things is, you know, like you said earlier, they're at their worst when they're yeah. on stage. And people, either the general public doesn't realize that. <laughs> you know, yeah. they see these bodies and they want it. And it's like, man, that's a one-day thing. That's you right. You can't sustain that. It might not even be a day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the, that is really like on the, that's on the, you know, knife's edge, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let me... But, if, I mean, can, I was gonna. Say, I was just gonna ask Brian. Is, we're talking about sort of weird behind the thing, scenes things, and and uh, that sort of temporary look. 
Have you ever seen anybody or have you ever employed sort of – I hear rumors about weirdness with photography like people will use masking tape behind their back from front shots to try to make their waist taper dramatically or you know, do strange stuff like that. Or are there any sort of weird tricks or things that people do when they, when they want a, a very you know, dramatic particular look? You mean photographically? Yes, right, yep. I've never never seen that. The only thing I've ever sort of like pinned behind somebody is when when clothing is being worn. You know, if you have a guy and he's wearing a tank top and it's hanging really blocky and you mm-hmm. feel like it's making his waist look really wide, then what, you know, I'll do or, I, you know, fashion photographers have been doing it forever is they just take an A-clamp and just kind of squeeze the shirt in from behind to give it more of a taper. But, you know, that's not really cheating. That's just kind of like modifying the garment so it really kind of respects the physique a little more. Um, but, no, I've never seen or encountered that. You know, probably the only thing that might be close to that, of course, is fake weights. Uh, you know, some people don't realize fake weights are used. And I can remember way back in the day, way before I was a photographer, um, going to Gold's Gym, and, you know, Pete Kumkowski was and is a, a dear friend, and... They had made for them, they were fiberglass 45s, fiberglass. And so those were being used in photo shoots and golds, but the fiberglass never held out very well because, of course, it chips and it breaks. But nowadays, you know, you can get aluminum plates, and so they are literally cast from the same molds. They're indiscernible from the real thing. So that's probably the only cheating that goes on. But, you know, you can't ask a guy to be throwing around heavy weights, especially if it's around a show for the sake of a photo con. For, for a and I can, I can uh, you know, attest to that because in my first bodybuilding competition, I mean, I was just a young 17-year-old, but um, the local paper where the competition was here up in Canada, they were interested in, you know, this kid that was doing this thing. And I was I was a nobody, of course. Um, they wanted to come through for the local paper and, and take some you know, pictures of this kid that was competing in a bodybuilding competition. And, and uh, you know, they had me squatting for, I mean, God, for 15, 20 minutes yeah. to get a good shot. And, I mean, you know, I probably only had 135 pounds on the bar. Yeah. But, you know, that that becomes about, you know, 600 pounds by the time, you know, the, the photographer says, you know, we'll yeah. go up and down for, you know, another 10 times. Yeah, so, that's right. So, and- yeah, and injury. I mean, geez. well, yeah, and so it's absolutely true. Injuries. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are and how strong you are. I mean, you know, nobody can, you know, get the perfect shot with some guy. Okay, we're going to do it with five hundred pounds in the bar, and you know, we're going to we're going to have you squatting for half an hour while I yep. get different angles and this and that and everything. So it's in a way, it's in my estimation, this is even coming from a powerlifter's perspective. I have no problem with that at all because you want drama in the photos, but like you say, unless it's a a fly on the wall kind of shot where you're not actually, like you say, making the shot, but rather taking the shot. Right. If um, you actually were shooting somebody's real workout, which you know, exactly. is, is not the case, you're setting it up for a magazine. Exactly. And, you, and like you say, you can't you can't expect somebody to, uh, you know, be <laughs> benching four or five hundred pounds, you know, over the course of you know half an hour, forty five minutes to get that perfect shot. Yeah. No. I think I think it was Jean Pierre Fuchs that did that for a photo shoot, and he blew out both of his knees. Yeah, I, I actually remember that. that right, I think it was a flex photo shoot or something, if I'm remembering correctly, and I, I think it like killed his career. It was like, 675 pounds. He had uh, what, what, yeah. seven plates on the side. Yeah, and that's the, those those shots are notorious. I mean, they're, they're horrific to look at. Oh yeah, yeah, like injury shots. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
when he went down because I mean unfortunately or fortunately at the same time because the photographer was there he he caught the whole thing in sequence and it's, it's quite horrific to see. Yeah, so that's uh, you, you just can't do that. <laughs> can't do that. That's no. exactly why I tape all my training. I'm waiting to become a star like that when something else blows. Oh, you're going to be a YouTube star. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like the powerless. Oh, we've we're all heard a lot of your stories before. You got one that sticks out? What's that? People, Rob, I was seeing if Rob had a story that oh. maybe sticks out. I know he's got a ton of them that people oh, might well. want to Well, if we're talking injuries, I mean, I've, uh, <laughs> I've seen... Um, I, I saw a pro bodybuilder up here in Canada. I won't say his name, but I saw him go down pretty hard on the Smith machine with, I think it was about 545, mm. something like that. And he, uh, bellowing screams in the gym, uh, blew out both his, blew up both his knees kind of a thing. Mm. Um, I've seen a lot of injuries in the gym. I've seen 405 pound bars come down people's chests and bounce off like trampolines. I've seen all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Like, wow. Uh. Lonnie, you got anything to add on the topic? I'd have to give that some thought. That's a tough one just to just to try to pull out something. I, I guess I've seen some pretty weird stuff backstage. You know, I, I guess one thing I could talk about was the reason I, I – part of the reason I asked the question of Brian about, you know, any weirdness with physique stuff is because you get these guys preparing backstage when they compete in bodybuilding, and the insecurity and is really evident, as Brian was saying, and – they're doing all kinds of things to sort of tweak and tighten down various things like, you know, they'll use preparation H on around their nipples if they have, you know, gynecomastia or something to try to shrink the tissue, you know, or they'll paint, you know, instead of just coating themselves with dioderm with, with, you know, artificial tan, they'll, they'll sort of draw in uh, around their muscles a little bit, you know, and things like that. And so I, I there's some of that sort of uh, weirdness, you know, going on backstage when 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 people are exposing themselves like that, right? Because I mean, it, I can see a little bit of insecurity. You're going to walk out in front of dozens or hundreds of people in your underwear, you know, and it's it's got to be hard to separate yourself from that. Self kind of it kind of it draws a bit of weirdness in. I mean, you can't be totally normal to do what we do, and but. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's one of the things you know Brian was saying earlier about how you know if if you're a gym owner, it kind of kills that whole mystique of the thing after a number of years. I think that applies for you know all the different avenues that us on the show and so forth have been involved in the sport. Certainly, as me and you know as an editor at a magazine and so forth like that, and you you see a lot of things that you kind of in the years later you kind of laugh at, but you wonder if really it was ever good for for you to have have seen these things or experienced these things because. You know, when you're just just some normal guy who just buys the magazines and goes to a gym, and you're not in the industry. You know, you can you can retain that, you know, a, a semblance of that whole hero thing and love. You know, retain the you love. Know, you know, thinking of these guys as kind of people to idolize, and then when you kind of get in the sport for a while, you kind of realize a lot of these guys are really not worthy of idolization. And I mean, and I'm not going across the board because obviously there's some fabulous people in the industry, both competitors and otherwise. Um, but I'm sure Brian can, can attest to what I'm saying here. I mean, you know, there's, there's that other side where you see a lot of things that you really kind of wish you probably never had seen. Yeah, no, it's, I, yeah, it's a business. Bad. At the end of the day, it becomes a business the further up the food chain you go. And it's a business for everybody. And, you know, that's so decisions are made based upon business. 
again, when you're high up the food chain, it has nothing to do with health anymore. And it's really a different world from that which you fell in love with when you were 16. Yeah. And even you were saying, you know, backstage when you're a photographer, you certainly don't want to get, you know, in the way of a, you know, professional bodybuilder when he's moments from the stage and right. talking about funny stories. I remember watching Nasser al Sambadi, I think, at the backstage of the Arnold, I believe it was. And if anybody out there remembers Billy Blanks, is that action action film star guy? Yeah, I think I do. Went on with his tie bow thing. Oh yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, and he was doing some demonstration with a bunch of his students and so forth of his martial arts moves, and they were practicing backstage. And the backstage area was particularly small, and uh, he started doing some, you know, uh, crazy high flying spin kicks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember Nasser El Sambadi walked off stage and he came back there, and uh, he he. he Went into the spin kick, and I, I swear Nasser probably felt the breeze off his face right in front of him. And I and I thought for a minute there was going to be a massive throwdown. I mean, the look on Nasser's face was priceless. Oof. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you see those kind of things all the time. You know, and it it's just interesting to see as well kind of the emotion that you see backstage. You know, you see these guys up on stage, and they kind of come across as Adonis and all this kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, these are individuals, and, and like Brian said earlier, I mean, you're you're talking about a lot of, in a lot of cases, people who are very, um, you know, have a lot of so you know um, personal sensitivities and so forth that, you know, on the outside you might not be able to see that because of again a huge muscularity and so forth. But I mean, you know, backstage you see some of these guys, you know, break down crying. Um, you see all sorts of different emotions and anger and crying and. Um, jubilation. It, it's quite interesting backstage to see these kind of things. You know, when when from one perspective you you never see any of that. You just see you know what is presented to you on stage the way they want to present it, and then yeah, and through the magazines. I mean, it's all controlled. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think it's unfortunate because the the public at large does not see the humanity. I mean, yeah. what you're describing, the feelings backstage, that's just humanity. That's being human. It's nothing yeah. to run away from or be ashamed of. I mean, it, it, no, exactly. I mean, I've watched gigantic yeah. men. I mean, I can say, and I'm not, I'm not saying it in any sort of um, mean-spirited way, but I saw Mike Francois, who's, um, you know, at one time was kind of like the, the golden boy of bodybuilding, and he was doing quite well until he suffered some health complications. Um, great guy, great guy. But I remember once he was so down and despondent over a placing. I mean, I just uh, saw him weep like a child. And again, I'm not put that. That's not. Um, you know, putting him down or making fun of him at all. It's just like you say, it's the humanity of it, you know, and sometimes what you see on the stage or in the magazines and the training and all this stuff, and, you know, here's this guy that squats, you know, 600 pounds for sets and reps and so forth, and then just just, just yeah. see the other side of it, you know, to see the, you know, the, the, the sensitivity of the person come out. It, it can be quite dramatic. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's lacking. I, I don't know why the sport wants to control that so much because I think maybe more of what we need is humanity. You know, I mean, it's so easy to monumentalize these people and idolize these people, and that's, you know, controlled by the powers that be, whether it's media and, you know, just the, the game itself. But I think the public at large, if you're trying to expose, you know, a larger audience to what we do, they would, I think, react more to humanity. Oh, I agree. I don't know why that's hidden. It just shouldn't be hidden. It's part I mean, of it. Be a, it'd be a great reality show. I mean, like you said, people what people don't see is, is the humanity. They don't see the business, the clicks, the yeah. 
you don't get any of the, the characters. And no. I mean, there's some weird stuff and great, interesting stuff yeah. going on back there. I mean, the politics alone can be crazy. I mean, at a recent, I don't want to name any names or events or anything. I mean, just one that draws into my mind is just being being at, at an after party backstage and whatnot, and mm-hmm. people fighting with each other. And I had one high-level figure gal come up to me and wanted me to go beat the hell out of some high-level retired bodybuilder and all this crap going on it's just like wow you know and then you know people high on the mountain other people down here in the corner crying and it's just all all that stuff going on and you never see just see the painted picture that they want you to see i mean yeah that's right I think the unfortunate result of that, you know what though, Rob? I, I think the unfortunate result of that though is if if the general public doesn't see the humanity in sort of a positive way, right? Not always like a, a reality show, just you know how much dirt can we put on film? But if, if you if you don't portray some of the humanity, and you know, like all those hours in the gym leading up to something, I mean, think how pumping iron, you know, the that, at least that sort of documentary feel and and that kind of thing, uh, the public will put their own. Judgment, and they'll fill in their own gaps when it comes to bodybuilding. And you know, obviously, the media is going to do all kinds of things with that. They're going to portray all bodybuilders as, you know, completely, you know, steroid pumping, axe murdering nut jobs or something, or who knows what they're going to come up with. You know, and there's there's a lot of the sport out there that's not like that. Like we were saying, there are interesting examples, good people, interesting stories. And you know, it, it, I, I just wish there were more magazines that would actually document some of the, you know, the training that goes into preparation for a show and that kind of stuff. It, I think it would it would show the reality and not not just give the media carte blanche to to fill fill it in with ignorant, you know, ideas of their own. I think that's one of the things I don't want to touch on too long. That came in there. I mean, I think some of the best things and funnest and funniest times that I've seen are, are in the gym. And all you ever see is people just, you know, these stern looks and attacking the weights and this and that. And I, don't, I haven't been around a hard training professional that doesn't have a blast in the gym. Between set joking that goes on, the fun, you know, the, we all have a lot of fun in there. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, if there could be a camera just filming that, I mean, it could be a comedy show at times. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I agree. You know, going back to what we were saying about how, the, you know, how, Maybe nostalgia kind of playing a part in our perceptions that the '70s and '80s were kind of like the golden years. But and then Lonnie, of course, when uh, Brian got cut off the phone, said something quite pertinent. He said, "You know, could it be actually in reality that those were the golden years? And maybe they were for the simple reason that you know that was the kind of pre-supplement contracts and all the stuff where kind of money kind of and again, obviously, we're talking relative sense here. I mean, you know, um, professional bodybuilders are not making." you know, what NBA players are making, but, you know, there was a, probably a more of a purity there, right? Because guys, like, again, we always mention Platts, but, you know, his whole thing was training. That was, that was it for him. Um, whereas I think a lot of guys today, you know, the end, you know, the, the be all end all is the contract and the, and the magazine shoots and stuff. And, you know, the, the gym and the training was just a means to the end where, you know, you know, to guys like that, that, that from the era that we're talking about, it, the training was the thing, you know. And if you did wind up on a magazine or somebody did care to take your, a picture or somebody did, you know, see fit to send you a couple of cans of protein once a month, I mean, that was just kind of like right. cream on top of the uh, the cake, you know. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's no doubt those guys obviously were not motivated by money because there wasn't any money. <laughs> so that explains it right there. They love the training. They love the culture. And, you know, I think, uh, look, I'm sure that there's a 16-year-old kid today training in a gym, you know, that might look back on 2010 as being nostalgic for it because, you know, they say history is sort of made every day. But, you know, when I look back, again, those eras where guys trained and women trained just for the love of it, there was something very different about it. And there was like a joyousness to it. You know, you're just talking about having fun in the gym. When I, uh, maybe about a year or so ago, I decided I would compile as many photos as I could find from Better Bodies. And I put together a little website called betterbodies1982.com just as like a tribute site to that moment in time for me and my members and the people I was involved with. And when I was scanning the photos and kind of the, creating this website, I mean, most is that we were always laughing and smiling. There was so much fun in that little gym, it was ridiculous. And I think about now when I look, because I'm shooting in gyms all the time, I don't see that anymore. I don't see fun. Like, we just had a blast. No matter what we were doing, it didn't matter whether we were, you know, stocking Snapple juice in my, you know, refrigerator container to sell to a member or, you know, cleaning up. It just didn't matter. We had a blast. And I think that's missing today. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. Well, one of the you know, number one I, things I have to preach to my clients is just if you're not having fun, you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Fitness, exercise, all that, it should be fun above all. I mean, but. Well, maybe clubs will return. You know, maybe there'll be there'll be a, a full circle. I think we talked about this with Pep Wall months ago, but maybe there will be a full circle where people do want a little bit more customized feel of a of a lifting club or something, and they'll get tired of the you know super sanitary um, pickup club that a lot of fitness centers have become. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's wishful thinking. The economics will work against that. I mean, I think it depends on where you're talking about because, it, like in my sort of weird little fantasy like again if you guys were to see this little gym i've built downstairs i have fantasized about like what if you know some rich landlord gave me five thousand square feet and said you don't owe me a penny build a gym and you just built this old school gym you know with no cardio <laughs> no stationary bikes no treadmills just kind of the way that we were probably brought up um I think it could work, except that you can't do it if you have to make money. Yeah. I think it would kill in a big city. I mean, people would love it. But with rents being what they are, there's just an economic reality. You can't do it. So, What part of New York City was your uh, Better Buys gym? Sorry, where was it? Yeah, uh, part of it was, yeah. uh, well, now they call it the Flatiron District. It didn't have a name when I opened up there, but it was on 21st Street between 5th and 6th Avenues. And ironically, the space that uh, I opened up Better Bodies in 82 is now, today, a private training gym. So there was something really kind of like karmic about that, that it was so weird. I went up about a year ago. Actually, there's photographs of it on that Better Bodies site that I mentioned. I walked up the stairs and uh, hadn't been up there since I left in, I guess, 87. And it was really emotional. Like, I think if I were alone, I could have cried. And it was fascinating to see that Unbeknownst to those people, they didn't know that Better Bodies started there, and yet they put the dumbbells in the same little nook that I had my dumbbells. It was really wild. 
So it was uh, 21. You had two different locations for the gym? That's right. I opened up in 82, and I was in my original location, 12 West 21st Street till 87, where I basically outgrew it. And then I opened up uh, on uh, 19th Street, 22 West 19th. And that is actually still a gym. I'm happy to say it's not a better body. So I sold it. But now it's called Complete Body. And uh, it's pretty cool to think that for as many years, you know, over 20 years, it is still a gym. And uh, ironically, the new owner reached out to me when he heard and learned about the history of Better Bodies and met with me, looked at all my archives, old photos, and ended up uh, having me made prints from my little snapshot photos of me and Gladys and everybody back in the day. And if you were to go to the gym today, you would see them all over the wall. They put them all over the wall like a museum, you know, as a way to try to bring back some of that, like, positive 1980s, early 90s energy. So it's pretty cool that it's still living on. Is that where you met Gladys? Is that the gym? Yeah, she was actually, she just started to work at a women's, a little health spa called 21st Century. It was on 57th Street, and a friend of mine uh, had met her there and thought she would be great for better bodies because, you know, we didn't have any trainers, and we didn't, and at that, we didn't have a woman. And, you know, my tagline was Manhattan's first serious bodybuilding gym for women as well as men. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be like positioning myself to make women welcome, I, I better get a good woman. And so ironically, that, that became Gladys. Right. It was, was, was Better Bodies kind of a, a, it must have been kind of a, a hot spot for a lot of the pros to, to venture in when they were coming through that, that part of the U.S. I it mean, was. I mean, you know, I really made myself available to whether it was bodybuilders, magazines. I mean, if you talk to anybody, Gary Bartlett, Bob Kennedy, uh, John Balick, Mike Neview, any of the guys that were shooting back then, Ralph DeHaan still shooting, um, I literally just did everything I could for them and the bodybuilders to make their life easier. And, you know, that's why Better Bodies was in every magazine back in the day because I understood that you're in, you're not in your own town. And, you know, you want the path of least resistance. You don't want to have hassles. And I just made it easy. You know what I mean? Carte blanche. Whatever you want, whatever you want, wherever you want. And uh, Yeah, because you know, we were talking when you got um, cut off the phone there. We were, I was met and, you know, to Lonnie and so forth that, you know, when I started getting into heavily into bodybuilding and, you know, would buy Muscle Mag and all these type of magazines, especially in Muscle Mag, you know, there was always in the news section, there was always something about better bikes. There was always snapshots of you, always somebody wearing a better body shirt. And, you know, it, there was a time there when, as I was saying before, you know, like there was a time when people wearing a better body shirt was just as common as people wearing a world gym or a, a gold yeah. gym shirt or, or so it seemed, you know, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely kind of me, World Gold, and Powerhouse. And that, yeah. Those were the logos you saw in the magazines. That was it. Yeah. That was it. But, you know, they were obviously way bigger than I, but I think I was pretty good at marketing. So I got my shirt where it needed to get, you know, whatever it took. I got my shirt on people's backs. <laughs> well, it worked. It worked because, like I said, that imprint in my mind of people wearing better bodies, you know, shirts is is really, really in the forefront of my mind. And that's, yeah. That's saying a lot, you know, because, again, I've been around just like everybody else here, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that was a special time. Yeah, I remember, reminds me of a funny story, you know, about logos. And, of course, the, the one caveat I had for the magazines and the photographers coming in is that, of course, they would throw me the bone and get my shirts in the magazines. So, you know, they could pick whatever shirts they want, put them on guys, girls. But I also knew that it's a magazine. If you're shooting, 
Lee Haney right after winning the Olympia I have a shirt on for a lot of shots because you want to see the guy's physique. So I had this idea, and well, I had two ideas that sort of helped with that. The first I remember was, if you guys remember Mike Ashley, he was a really great local bodybuilder. And uh, he had won a show. I don't remember what it was, but I had planned ahead, and I knew that the shirt wouldn't stay on long. So what I did is I had a small logo, and I had it sewn like on basically what would be like your back pocket. So that when he's doing like lat pull downs, <laughs> you would see my logo on the back pocket of his shorts. And then the other thing I did is I had little magnets made of my logo. And so whatever machine they went to, I put my logo on the machine like it was the manufacturer's logo. Because <laughs> you couldn't put the guy's shirt on, but my logo was going to be on the machine. So And because it was a magnet. The, the guys would just move around and move the magnet around on whatever piece they were shooting. Right. But, you know, that, that's that's all I asked in return, is that I would get the promotion from it. Right. Well, like I say, it worked because, you know, I was I was just a kid here in Canada, but, you know, certainly the whole culture of better bodies in New York City was, was something that was almost mythic to me because, of course, at that time I was just a kid, so I, I yeah. never got down to New York City, but... Yes, you know, it was it was almost like, you know, there's Gold's Gym out on the West Coast, and then you have, you know, like Better Bodies over in New York City kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should check out the site, the Better Bodies 1982 site. You know what? I am actually really have, like, I've, I've written down these sites. I'm actually going to go check these out. Cause okay, yeah, yeah. You would uh, you would totally do it. feels to me very much. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No, I think that's... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history, and I mean, I think I agree with you. I don't know if those clubs can... You know, economically, ever come back? Right. You're seeing more that that's coming back in into the garage gym type thing. Yep. And I've seen people opening like gyms in in like storage rental places and stuff like that. But I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just those few people who love it. And it's you know, we're always going to be a counterculture, no matter that's what. Right. You know, and that's right. The one thing that refreshed me, I mean, you can still see some of this overseas. I spent like seven months in Thailand. Mm-hmm. The gyms there are what they were here. You know, right. you don't go to the gym in Thailand unless you want to train. Right, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I spent time in Dennis James's gym there at that time. It was his and, and stuff like that. And it's, you know, those times, sadly, may be gone here. You know, I think the people are still doing it. It's just the place is gone or it's changed. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah. like, like Brian saying, I mean, he's got his own little private kind of um, place there. Shrine. In- it's like a shrine, oh, cool. you know. But, you know, again, I mean, like, it's, you know, you see a lot of these places kind of bubbling up, and Lonnie was talking about this a few months ago, you know, you see these little hardcore gyms popping up in people's garages and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's not even for money. I mean, they have members per se, but it's, you know, maybe have 15 or 20 guys that come around, but it's not really like a contract thing at all. It's just like, you know what, throw me a bone once in a while and make sure the door is locked when you leave. Yeah, we're like a club. Yeah, yeah, like they're, like the old key clubs. I mean, yeah, those... Those are would be wonderful, you know, if your town had one. I think that's as close to it can get as to yeah. what you know we had as commercial gyms back in the day. But as you point out, they're not running it commercially, so the pressure isn't on. You know, if you yeah. had a big nut to make to put your key in the door, then all of a sudden you got to get into all the bullshit that you see in gyms today. Yeah. And that's why I was sort of saying in my fantasy that if you, if I didn't have to make money. Boy, I think I could build the coolest 5,000-foot old-school gym people had ever fucking yeah. seen, you know? I mean, heck, we even had, you know, there was a time that YMCA's had free weights. 
Oh yeah, that's where <laughs> I started. That's right. That, you know, that's where we went. And you know, in Topeka, Kansas, you went to the YMCA, and they had the free weight section. And I think they were all outlaid the same. They had that small track that went around it, and right. yeah, it was great. Yeah, they had free weights <laughs> and floor fans. Yeah. Uh, That's it. You used to have to step in front of the floor fan to cool off. Yeah. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brian, I think that's about it, man. I just want to thank you for coming. Um, It was a great show. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, everybody, go check out all his sites. It's brianmoss.com. And then what's the the Better Bodies? Uh, Better Bodies followed by the numbers, 1982-1982.com. And my muscle girl site is shemuscle.com. So. Are all these links off your brianmoss.com site? No, nah, Brian Moss is just my commercial work. Um, no, they're not. On Facebook, I think I have them. But uh, if you want, you know, we can contact one another through Facebook and you can put some links somewhere. But, yeah, they're, they're sort of scattered. They're uh, going to be of interest to me for sure. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Everybody go check them out. You can kind of see the uh, the good old days, if you will. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so thank you, Brian. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Okay. Until, until next time. Thanks, guys. Okay, thanks, guys. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities, or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past. Uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got T-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on the air. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.